0: Give the number to WBAI.org to find out how you can support WBAI or call 516-620-3602. And thanks for supporting Free Speech Radio on WBAI New York.
1: You're listening
2: to WBAI New York. The time now is 5 o'clock and it's time for Driving Forces with Jeff and Celeste. Thank mm-hmm. you.
3: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here every Thursday at 5 o'clock with Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Celeste. And for our listeners and for Celeste, today is known as National Compliment Day. So I'm starting off by saying how wonderful it has been for the last five months doing this with Celeste. She makes every Thursday
3: special for me and
2: I hope for you too.
3: Oh my God. I'm blushing. I'm blushing so hard. You can see it on the radio. Thank you, Jeff. And the same back to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I think we're going to have a good show today. Well, we always have a good show, but I think this is going to be an interesting one because we're doing something kind of different. We're kind of teaming up with another uh, set of co-hosts here at WBAI to uh, bring you more news about the public advocates race, which is uh, uh, really, really packed and really, really interesting. Has a lot of different personalities. So uh, Max Murphy have been interviewing some of the candidates and we are teaming up with them to uh, to sort of split up the duty there and uh, and talk about this office which is pretty interesting and also sometimes a little controversial
2: and in fact yeah yesterday Max and Murphy had on Ron Kim and Nomiki Konst. And previously they had on Rafael Espinal, Eric Ulrich, Michael Blake, uh, Danny O'Donnell, and Don Smalls. So what we started doing in coordination with them, and they're also on Wednesdays at five o'clock and we're on every Thursdays at five. What we're doing is reaching out to 23, and one of them will be calling in in a short while. Uh, good. Our first one will be calling in in a moment. And uh, uh, we reached out to them and some have gotten back. So over the next few weeks, uh, what Max and Murphy are going to do and we're going to do is have give all the public advocate candidates a chance to talk about who they are, what they stand for, and their vision for the office. And we also, Celeste and I are thinking of also having some former public advocates on. We know we've talked with Mark Green, uh, connected with him about coming on the show, Mm -hmm. uh, and other experts just looking at the race and what their predictions are. So with that, we'd like to move on to our, our first guest. So our first guest today... And who we have on the line, uh, is one of the 23 candidates. This is Manny Alejandro, an attorney and political novice who ran last year, political novice last year, when he ran for New York State Attorney General. Manny, welcome to Driving Forces.
0: Thank you so
4: much. So pleasure first, to, uh, Pleasure to join you.
2: Thank you. First of all, for our listeners, tell us what your party is, because this is nonpartisan, so everyone has a party designation. What is your party? And tell us then a little about you.
4: Sure, it's called a Better Leaders Party. Um, we actually had to create our own parties because this is a special nonpartisan election, so you couldn't run as a traditional party um, in this election. So uh, all the candidates came up with, with their own party. So I chose the, the, the name of, of Better Leaders because one of one of my fundamental issues and concerns is that there's a lack of leadership um, in the city, starting starting with the mayor. So um, I wanted the party to kind of represent. My vision and kind of you know where I wanted it to take us.
3: And maybe you can just tell us a little bit about why you're interested in this job and what it means to you, and uh, and why out of all the uh, political positions in the city, this is the one that that has pull for you.
4: Absolutely, uh, great question. So what's interesting uh, to me about the position, I think it's a very important position. Um, I've heard a lot of scuttlebutt from others. There were, uh, I know there was a city council proposal and there's been op-eds about essentially decommissioning the position. I I think that's the wrong way to go. Um, I really think the position uh, is is a vital uh, one and um, one that is fundamentally important to the city government. From my perspective, I think that there's been a failure in leadership respectfully from um, the the last public advocates um, in terms of really not using the office to the fullest extent that it could have been used to actually, you know, protect the interests of, of New Yorkers. And what I think is the most important aspect about it is to use it as effectively a check on on the mayor, the city council, and, and the city government. If, if, if used appropriately, I think it is a you know a, a, a great great office, uh, and and actually could be you know the true advocate or ab- advocacy um, office for New Yorkers.
3: And uh, obviously I have to ask you then, where do you think were some of those missed opportunities where you think the office could have been used better?
5: I mean, clearly the
4: issues that we're facing right now, um, I'd like to say, you, you know, uh, are not really, uh, you know, accidental. Um, I think we've been negligent, unfortunately, in a lot of areas. So in particular, if you look at NYCHA housing, I mean, these are longstanding problems that have existed at NYCHA. Um, unfortunately, you know, they're, they're, they're newsworthy today. Um, I think they were newsworthy years ago, but unfortunately, just didn't get the attention that they needed. Um, another issue that that's that I'm focusing on is the MTA. Um, again, the MTA has come to a slow grind. The MTA crisis could could you know go back um, depending on where you wanted to start for many many years. So again, I think that you know we're looking at things because they're almost at the breaking point, if you will. Another issue that I'm focused on uh, with my campaign is, is, is the homeless population and the uh, increasing numbers of, of, of homeless people. I'm very concerned about that I'm very concerned that the city is not you know doing all that it could do um, to, to help uh, the homeless and to, to really you know provide adequate shelter for them.
3: And I'm sure as an attorney, you've looked through and examined the uh, the powers of the office, what they are and what they are not. And uh, when I mentioned a little earlier in the program that sometimes the Public Advocates Office has been a bit controversial, some people have said, well, it's great to have a watchdog and it's great to have a counterbalance uh, on the power of the mayor. It's great to have uh, somebody who can speak up for people who feel like they're not being heard. But the, the position itself doesn't have... Uh, necessarily real statutory power to actually change a lot of things. You can raise alarms, you can submit legislation and so on, but um, there's a question of whether there's a bit of a, a constraint on the office. Does that concern you, that that the advocate position is not powerful enough to actually affect real change?
4: It, it actually, that's a great question. It actually does. Um, I, again, but I also think that the, the office has not been used to the fullest extent it can be used. What I mean by that is that, you know, probably going back to when the the, uh, the office was commissioned to, to Mark Green and Betsy Gapbaum, you know, I think that they were uh, more effective um, public advocates, respectfully, than Letitia James and, and, and the mayor. Um, in terms of, look, <laughs> I'm very concerned about politicizing offices. So when I ran for attorney general, you know, my first statement was I want to depoliticize the office. So we have to be careful that we don't use the the power of any office to, um, you know, accomplish political means. So I'm looking at the office, you know, purely from an independent perspective. I think what can be done potentially is, you know, if there are any issues um, in terms of the full jurisdiction and the full might uh, of of the office, potentially, you know, consider, uh, you know, moving forward on article 78 proceedings, um, you know, which are essentially appeals of, of, of decisions. Uh, From from city agencies so that's just another you know potential opportunity right there to put more teeth into the office I also think that if the uh, office works more cooperatively with other city departments It really could shed more light upon the issues um, And and bring those issues to bear get the media attention and get the coverage that's necessary What I'm concerned about is you know in the 24-hour news cycle um, You know we keep hearing the same stories over and over again and really not getting the attention of, of of New Yorkers, and and really making them aware of what they fully really need to be aware about, and how it affects um, you know the lives of all New Yorkers at large.
2: So, is it true that I had read that you were a former stand-up comedian?
4: <laughs> I I, uh, I took a class uh, for to do stand-up comedy, and then I, and then I performed um, you know a couple of times um, after that. But it was it was uh, you know kind of fun thing that I did. I always wanted to to do it, so. I, I've taken a class at Caroline's Comedy Club, and then they, uh, you know, when you're done um, with, with, with essentially coming up with a five-minute routine and you actually perform for friends and family, so I, I did a, I did a couple of those shows, but it was fun. I thought it was great. It helped me a lot with public speaking and a lot of extemp. So I thought it was a great, a great opportunity for me.
3: Well, so tell us a little bit more, aside from your qualifications as a trained stand-up comic, which, by the way, if you look at some of the stuff that goes on in uh, in government today, you have to have a little of a sense of humor about it, I suppose. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But, you, know, what makes you what makes you qualified? Uh, why should people be interested in your candidacy as opposed to any of the other men and women who want this job?
4: Absolutely. Great question. So from my perspective, I have a, a very interesting background. I was raised by my mom. And, um, you know, she was a school crossing guard. I was also raised by uh, her, her parents, my grandparents, and my grandfather worked in a factory uh, making toothpaste. So, you know, I really know what it's like uh, to struggle. And I could relate to a lot of people and kind of what they're going through. Unfortunately, I had a, had a good education, and that, that thrust me into a, a good career. So I think I have a very good perspective on kind of where things are and where things need to be. I've always been a fighter. I've always been one to kind of challenge the status quo. So I'm not happy uh, when I see things that are unattended. Always been one, uh, as even a young child, to you know file complaints, uh, even into uh, you know, uh, Schumer, when he was my congressman. There was a subway station where I grew up in Brooklyn. It was always iced over. I was always lodging complaints into his office to, to make sure that the snow was cleared and it was safe to walk. Uh, so I've always been the one to kind of demonstrate leadership skills and be the fighter and that fundamentally is a core uh, you know, issue to me and the campaign is to be a fighter and a true advocate for, for New York uh, and New Yorkers. What I think is interesting too is because I'm an outsider, I don't have any commitments, any relationships to, to any of the leadership. So I think the, the fact that I'm an outsider makes me much more independent and, and better able to tackle the issues and focus on the issues. Um, that I don't think any other candidates can because they're either in government or, you know, predominantly most of them are city council. So I, I have issue with the fact that someone's been in the city council for many, many years, never took issue with the mayor, but now uh, when they become, should they become public advocate, now all of a sudden, you know, they have, they're have they going to be able to, to, to stand up to the mayor, which they haven't been able to for many, many years. So I find that, um, you know, somewhat confusing and contradictory. Um, so from my perspective... Uh, what I bring to bear is, you know, independence, uh, the fact that I'm an attorney is extremely helpful, um, and the fact that I I have the fighter mentality, and I really want to help those who I feel can't help themselves.
2: And what's so interesting, Manny, is that, uh, you know, you're concerned about the uh, lack of leadership or the uh, the ineffectiveness, in your view, of the previous public advocates, but I know that under Tish James... Uh, she had basically shifted the role, you know, the charter mandated role of being an ombudsman more towards being a legal advocate and filing lawsuits. Is this something, though, that we would expect from you to see as public advocate that you would take on you know, uh, litigation, that you'd pursue litigation? And is there, for instance, one piece of, uh, you know, uh, one lawsuit that you would be you know, chomping at the bit to file?
4: I mean, it really—you know—it really depends. It, that, that's a—that's a great question. It's—it's hard to say. I mean, again, I, I don't want to, um, you know, politicize the office. Uh, I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, the office evolves into something that, you know, it's not mandated under the charter to, to actually carry out. Um, my concern, again, is, you know, doing whatever is necessary to, you know, carry carry forward and carry through on an issue. So if that if that needs to be you know, ultimately wound up in, in, you know, uh, pursuing litigation and commencing legal action. Absolutely. But, you know, with that being said, that wouldn't be, you know, my first cut or my first perspective on it.
2: The other thing I know, excuse me, from my my colleague who used to work with Betsy Gottbaum, she talked with me about how tiny the budget is compared with the size of the city budget, that back when she was there, it was uh, in the, uh, what, early uh, last decade, it was about $3 million, but then it got cut to around $2.5 How do you make the best, you know, of this office when you've got such a tiny budget?
0: We're
4: going to have to review the budget in terms of how, how you know, do, you know, roll up our shirt sleeves and do a deep dive and, and, and get into, you know, how the budget's allocated and kind of, you know, make decisions based upon, you know, what, what's been done in the past. I mean, from my perspective, you know, uh, there's a lot of, you know, budgetary issues you know, in the city um, and, you know, sometimes I think, again, you know, there's more efficient ways of doing things potentially and there's more effective ways of doing things. So, you know, just looking at the budget independent of kind of, you know, how people are carrying out the roles and responsibilities, I, I think, you know, somewhat of a myopic view.
3: And as far as uh, this is a, a pretty, Compact campaign. It's not a full season campaign. It's a special election. Uh, how are you really getting your message out there, and how are you uh, doing that? Especially given the fact that other candidates may have more money to spend to uh, to reach voters and uh, convince them, sell them on uh, on this race.
4: Sure. So I have, uh, I, you know, I have social media uh, pages. It's uh, my Twitter is uh, Manny uh, dot underscore Alejandro. And my website is votemanny.nyc. So we're really using a lot of social media. We're going to, uh, you know, uh, come out with some some videos of me um, around the city, um, you know, exposing, you know, things that I'm that I'm concerned about and I really want to bring attention to and and, and, and potentially, hopefully, fix. Um, but you know, with that being said, it's it's a short it's a short race. I mean, the race is literally a couple of weeks away. But you know, with all that being said, and the disparity between some of the money from you know some of the the, the, the candidates are, you know, predominantly in city council uh, or in other uh, aspects of so the government. I really haven't heard much about the race. It's really not getting a lot of media attention. So I, I feel like I'm in the thick of it right now. I really feel that things, you know, will heat up um, within the next week or so, most definitely after the Super Bowl. Uh, but I think right now, you know, people are somewhat still distracted.
3: And uh, a lot of people look at public advocate. Uh, it's sort of the same way sometimes people look at uh, attorney general on the state level. You hear a lot of jokes about, you know, what does AG stand for? It stands for awaiting governor. So a lot of people look at public advocate as potentially a springboard to the, to the mayoralty. Is that something that you have, uh, you know, on possibly on your political horizon?
4: No, not really. And actually, faced the same question when I was running for attorney general, you know, aspiring governor. Uh, absolutely. No, uh, I, I really am passionate about uh, getting elected uh, in February and, you know, getting reelected then, um, you know, later on this year.
2: And you are, if I'm correct, your ballot position 15 and it's the better leaders party.
4: Yes, I was trying to I couldn't make first. So I was trying to be last but uh, <laughs> that was kind of difficult to do. I figured if you first, to that's last, the that's the comedy. That's the comedy to find it on the comedy piece to to find it on the ballot, to find me on the ballot, I should say.
2: Great. Any parting thoughts before we uh, get ready for our next guest? I
4: just wanted to thank you both. I, I appreciate the, the time. And um, you know, again, people, uh, you know, who are listening, you know, I, I'd love for you to you know review my website and you know uh, check out you know what I'm what I'm really running for and, and why I'm running and, and consider voting for me.
2: And once again, the website is?
4: It's uh, votemanny.nyc, and Manny is M-A-N-N-Y, and my Twitter is uh, manny.underscorealecandra.
2: Great. Thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on Driving Forces Today, Manny.
4: Thanks very much. Have a great evening. Bye now.
2: So as we talk about the public advocates race and we get ready for our next guest uh, who will be calling in here in a few minutes, Uh, we've just been uh, texting uh, with someone from his campaign. I just wanted to remind our listeners that you are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. This is commercial-free, listener-supported radio, and Celeste and I are volunteers. We've been doing this since last September, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why we, every week, want to focus on policy, on politics, and issues that are important to you. And what we've noticed is that, you know, coming in the middle of winter— Uh, The public advocates race may not be getting as much attention, but we're seeing that there are regular debates uh, that are going to be held. I believe the uh, campaign finance board uh, had announced this within the last week, a series of debates with New York One News.
3: Yeah, I think that as part of the uh, the public financing system, there are usually some there's usually some obligation to participate in. in debates uh uh, to adhere to spending caps and so on so uh you know this being a special election the rules may be slightly different but you know in a way and i have uh, as somebody who did cover uh On public advocate races and runoffs, uh, and even um, served as a a panelist, a questioner in televised debates. Look, a public advocate may be uh, an office that people don't know a lot about, but it is one of the top three citywide offices, those being Uh, excuse me mayor controller and public advocate and uh, it may have a smaller budget it may have uh, less statutory power but on the other hand as you know as we discussed a little bit this office can very much be what you make of it. And if I'm correct, do we have
2: our second guest on? Great. We have our second candidate on with us right now. You may know his name. Uh, His name is Jumani Williams. He is a New York City council member from Brooklyn and last year ran for lieutenant governor of the state of New York. Jumani, welcome to Driving Forces.
0: Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. So before we get to the tough questions, please tell us what number you are on the ballot and what your party line is.
0: Uh, Well, they haven't to get out exactly where everybody is so i i think i want to be t- between six or eight is, is where we think the range is going to be and uh about our party name is it. it's time let's go
3: great and uh oh celeste did you have a question yeah no i was just thinking uh well first of all i think the last time we spoke was uh during the uh The governor's and lieutenant governor's race, I believe, was we were up on the uh, Upper West Side, I think, at a a synagogue, I think. uh, Oh,
0: yes, yes, absolutely.
3: Right, right, where we did, I uh, moderated some questions and answers with an audience there. So I'm interested to know, you know, after that uh, race ended, why you pivoted to being interested specifically in in public advocate.
0: Well, I was excited, thanks to, uh, I know many listeners on here, we actually uh, did Phenomenally, with sort of very little resources against Titans and about $37 million, and uh, everybody in the state, most political organizations against us. And we got 47% of the vote across the state. We won New York City with double digits, and we got more votes than any non white candidate ever, which I just think is pretty cool. Uh, but if you recall, when I was running for lieutenant governor, I actually was saying that I wanted the lieutenant governor's position to be the public advocate for the state because I was saying. Uh, that the state had no position like that and I thought it was a critical position for government uh, and actually going across the state and explaining to folks what we had here in the city it was a it was a uh, a message that was actually beginning to resonate and it was exciting so uh, to me it wasn't even actually a, a real pivot it was I was running for public advocate for the state and now Tish James has made history and the public advocate for the city is available and it seemed like a very natural place to go so each
2: public advocate shapes you know the office Based on you know their own personal vision, tell us what your vision for the office and how you would you know what if you got this position,
0: then what you would want your legacy to be. Well, I do want to be clear that there there are powers that are given to this office that many people just kind of glaze over. I don't want to so I don't want to do that. It's been around since the eighteen hundreds. The first public advocate officially was nineteen eighty nine. Mark Green. We're very excited to have his endorsement as well. Uh, they gave the position five powers after saying that they wanted. To be a position that rose above politics the first was to provide legislation they can introduce legislation to the city council second was an ombudsman uh, a watchdog over at the city council and over the mayor uh, the third was a charter cop that's what i want to do spend a lot of time because the public advocate legally is the person who has to make sure that agencies are doing their charter mandated duties the third is to provide uh, seats on boards like the city planning commission And the fifth is to uh, make sure that uh, you have a vote on the pension board to decide what people's money are being invested and not being invested. And And on top
2: of that, in fact, that's that's where I was going to just go to because, you know, I worked for the controller's office for eight years and we also had seats on the boards. And I remembered one of the thorniest topics was where to invest and where to divest. And there often have been calls on our city officials to divest from certain businesses. Are there ones that you would look to divest from that you don't think the city should be invested in?
0: I know we've done a good job divesting from gun manufacturers and uh, fossil fuels, and so we want to make sure we continue doing that. I am particularly interested. I don't know that we're doing enough in terms of investing in deeply income-tongued affordable housing, and so I want to see how we can explore using these funds um, to build housing for the people who live in this city. And So that's some place I want to explore uh, a lot more. Um, You know, in addition, the bully pulpit is something that is is important. Uh, I have a... I, I think I have the best combination of being an activist, raising issues in ways that people would not take the risk to their own political career the way I have, whether it was the speaker of my own legislator legisl- uh, legislative house, the mayor or the governor. Some people may do one or the other, depending on what's safe for them. And then actually getting things done. So many people don't know, I've passed 54 pieces of legislation. That's more than any sitting council member. I was ranked the most productive council member after the speaker and a 51-member body two years ago. And so that combination, I believe, is what people were thinking about when they wanted a public advocate to be uh, a part of city government.
3: And as far as... um the power of the Public Advocates Office, and this is something that I asked our, our previous guest, but uh, that's something that I've been asking about actually for quite a while as I've covered several public advocate races. Um, you know, the office has a relatively small budget and it's sort of constrained as far as how much power it has to affect change. You can you, you can uh, submit legislation, you can make public pronouncements, uh, and so on. You can encourage action, but the power of the office, for example, as a city councilman, uh, you may have in fact had in some ways more power than you would as public advocate. Some people say that uh, the office should be done away with, that there are better ways to serve, uh, to serve the people and to provide a counterbalance to the mayor. What do you, what do you say to people who say that the public advocate's office uh, isn't, isn't really worth keeping around and we should spend the money on something else?
0: It's actually very interesting. I've, this is the first time I've heard someone say uh, that an office doesn't have as much power as it should. So instead of empowering it more, we should get rid of it. <laughs> that seems uh, very counterintuitive. I would say that there are two things that I think would be helpful uh, providing an independent budget from uh, not having to be uh, leaning on the mayor or the council, and giving it subpoena power would be the two things that would be uh, awesome in strengthening of that office. I will say this. I believe there is tremendous power in the public advocate's office just the way it is right now. Uh, I've come into this work saying that I didn't get elected to get re-elected. I didn't get elected to become public advocate. I got elected to do a job and provide transformational change. And so how I come about this is you cannot, the, the seat that I'm holding can't be more important than the people I'm representing. And I think that's the type of person you need in the public advocate's office because I'm going to be able to push that office even further. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. No matter whose doorstep it's laid on. I just ran against the most powerful politician in this state, one of the most powerful in the country. Uh, When you look up my name, you'll probably see Jermani Williams, frequent critic of, fill in the blank, mayor, (laughs) uh, the governor. Um, But I've been able to get things done, not just legislation, but policy changes and cultural changes in this city because, I believe, because of my, I was a community organizer by training, tenant organizer in particular, no long before Barack Obama, nobody knew what it was. My mother wanted me to get a real job. Uh, So I have, very much experience making sure that we're able to lift up the people's voice. That in itself is very powerful. And that in itself can, the, the, what we did with the abuses of the stop question and frisk wasn't just legislation. It was using the power of people to change the way that the police department uh, was interacting with uh, black and brown communities. Now we still have a long way to go on so many fronts, but that was a, an awesome case of if there wasn't someone there helping galvanize the voices of the advocates and the people, it wouldn't have gotten done. And that's what the public advocate has to do. The first public advocate, Mark Green, probably successfully sued the police department than any other public advocate. Uh, I plan to surpass even him in terms of getting information that we need, not just from the police department, but also from other agencies that have not been serving the people of New York City as well as they should. So, that can be done right now from the powers of the public advocate. Mm-hmm.
2: So, Jumani, what do you think will be the strongest factor, the deciding factor that helps someone win? Will it be ballot placement? Will it be amount of money that's raised? What's the factor that really is going to decide this election?
0: The factor is the people of the city of New York. And it's not cliche. But it is very critically important. But, you know, it's great to have you hiring a ballot. It doesn't I don't think it's as impactful as people think. It, you know, it might have been more important when you actually voted and clicked on things, but when you get a ballot and you look down, you're going to see multiple names. That's just by nature the way it's presented. Uh, uh, money is going to be critically important. I think if you qualify for matching funds, uh, you have a shot. The more matching funds you have, obviously, the better off you are. Uh, but it's a short space of time, so I think as long as people have within a million, two million dollars or so. Um, the difference between that is going to be negligible in three or four weeks. What's critically important is who's going to be able to turn people out, who's going to be able to use their resources and their endorsements to bring people to the polls, because in a cold day in February, for the first time ever special election, turnout is going to be paramount. That's why I'm proud that I brought over the infrastructure we had from the lieutenant governor's office, uh, the people who endorsed the then from Working Families Party uh, to NIPAN uh, to so many of the groups across the city, We've been building upon that. This is the first time ever that a, a, Kings, I'm sorry, that a, a county organization, a or boss, has endorsed me, like Frank Sedio in Brooklyn. We have unions that endorsed us that didn't endorse before. Uh, we did have DC-1707, Local 272. We have Building Trades. Uh, we have PSC CUNY. So I think it's going to be critical. We have 18 or so elected officials from all across the borough and local organizations like NKD, for Freedoms Cup. The poll operation... Is going to be the most critical uh, in this race. Who is going to be able to pull their voters on a cold day in February for an election that most people don't even know is going on? Uh,
3: yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. And that's one thing I was uh, curious about was you know the turnout. What are we actually going to see? You know, special elections. You know, certainly, this is an, an oddly timed, relatively oddly timed elections. People don't vote. A lot in specials, we know that. We don't see people voting in off years um, that much. How do you convince people to come out and, and do this? Because I have covered at least one uh, public advocates race where the runoff ended up costing more. I think, $13 million or something like that, mm. because nobody reached the threshold, and the, the entire budget of the office itself was 2 or $3 million, and everyone was just like, what have we done with this? I, how do you get people to care about this race?
0: There is some absurdity in the way our, our cane laws are. I'm very happy that the governor signed today some new voting law re- legislation. I am anxious to see instant runoff voting to help with some of the things that you described, and um, so we can make sure our money is being spent as efficiently as possible. Uh, but I will say I'm very proud of what we did in the lieutenant governor's race, particularly here in New York City. We won in double digits. So we have a map where 415 to 430,000 people just voted for us. Now, that's not one for one. I have to go in and I have to re-earn all of those votes, and we plan to do that. But what it does say is that we have a message that works, there were some people who consciously voted for it. I was so humbled by that. They, they they voted for the governor. They did not vote for his lieutenant governor. They came back and voted for his uh, attorney general, which means they made a concert effort, co- are, are, a concentrated effort to do that. So we're going to go in and just remind folks uh, that they supported the vision that we had just a few months ago, uh, and then we're asking them to support it one more time. And so I'll be humbled to earn that. But I think that does give us... Just a leg up because we're coming in uh, with that map, with those people that we've ID'd, those people who have just voted for us. But, you know, I'm on the ground every single day doing the best I can to re-earn all of those people's votes. And the people who have endorsed us are going to help us pull those folks to the poll.
2: Jumani, as we wrap up, please remind our listeners, what is your website? How can they learn more about you and your
0: campaign? Uh, uh, Mary A-A-N-E. JumaaneWilliams.com. They can also get me on Twitter uh, at Jumaane Williams and Instagram at Williams, and also on Facebook, uh, Jumaane Williams.
2: Jumaane, thank you for joining Celeste Katz and me here on Driving Forces today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to speaking to you again.
2: Thank you. And if you Thank are you. and if you have tuned in, you are listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my co-host Celeste Katz here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. So in a few minutes, James is going to give us the thumbs up when we have our final candidate on uh, expecting to call in. Uh We've got that other candidate on, James? Not yet? Yeah, okay, we'll he'll be calling com- in in a few moments. Yeah, a
3: couple of minutes. And we'll have
2: our third candidate on. So one thing that was interesting about Jumani, uh, just trying to read up before. Uh, yep, if you'd like to give him a call, that would be great. Um, our, what I had read is that he was one of the initial top fundraisers in this first period by yeah, meeting that deadline.
3: I'm looking actually at the, uh, at the CFB website, the uh, New York City Campaign Finance Board, which... I have checked so many times in my life that I actually have They're it a political bookmarked. Junkie. I, I'm I very big on the New York City Campaign Finance Board, and I don't care who knows it. New York, guess what? But This um, was why you were one of the best reporters oh that God. I
2: ever had to work with when I was working with the Patterson campaign, because you were <laughs> relentless. You knew everything. You knew much
3: better than I did. I think you are... It must be National National Compliment Day. <laughs> Could it be? Could it be, Jeff? <laughs> so I think, think we have our yeah, third, I our third think candidate we on. Do yes, we great. Do. Uh, so our uh, final uh, our final guest today is uh, Michael Zambluskas, who served as the New York County Chairman of the Independence Party. Uh, he will be, I believe, sixteenth on the Board of Elections ballot. And it's a pleasure you to uh, pleasure to welcome uh, you to the show, Michael. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
3: So, uh, first of all, tell us what your uh, what your ballot line name is and uh, what your candidacy is is about. How should people uh, how should people separate you from the uh, the rest of the pack?
1: Uh, my ballot line is repair NIJA now. Um, the reason is it's just one of the agencies that need to be repaired. Um, uh, you know the public advocate seat does have some authority and powers to go in and actually look at how each city agency is run, and that's actually built into the charter. And I think I'm uniquely qualified as that, actually more so than anybody else, uh, for a number of reasons. One, I currently work for the New York City Department of Transportation as a resource management analyst, so I already know some of the problems that we have that uh, usually our politicians have forced down a lot of the agencies' throats. Uh, procurement is a mess. Uh, you know, it uh, takes so long to get a contract. Paying people is uh, another problem. And we're not getting efficient use of the money that's being spent. When you look at it, New York City spends $90 billion a year. There's only 32 countries in the world that spend more on their entire national budget. Israel, for example, only spends $92 billion. That includes buying tanks and planes to defend itself. There's something wrong with that when almost nothing is working properly and we're spending that kind of money. And the public advocate's duty is to actually go in and review that. It's not the controllers. The controllers, actually, right now, Scott Stringer is abusing his authority uh, because he's only supposed to look at the contracts after the fact. But right now he's trying to play OMB. Office of Management Budget and look at operations, and that's delaying things. DoIs delaying things? It's just a total mess. And uh, you know, a prime example is uh, at one of the forums I was at, uh, Danny O'Donnell comes out and says, "Well, I spent a million dollars uh, getting two doors, uh, uh, front doors, replaced in some of the buildings." I'm going, like, you didn't hold a hearing that you got, you had to spend. Uh, half a million dollars per door. But, and that's stuff we need to look at.
2: But one thing I do want to interject here is, having worked at the controller's Office, the, one, some of the core responsibilities were scrutinizing the city's budget but also auditing all city agencies and being able to at least uh, flag when there would be waste or abuse.
1: And the thing is, if you lead the charter, it's after the contracts are done. They're not supposed to micromanage the contracts like they're trying to do now. They're, yeah, and that's that is a huge problem. It's delaying things. Do you realize that under Scott Stringer uh, there's been more contract contracts that had to be deemed than any other oh, deeming means that the controller rejects it and the mayor has then has the power to say this is necessary and um, you know he has to say uh, it's a valid contract. And some of these contracts they're, uh, you know, rejecting are contracts that the city's been doing for years and years. Um, you know, they're you know like the New York City Department of Transportation right now has to, uh, under a, fe- a federal lawsuit, has to readjust and refi- uh, repair all these ped ramps, and the controller is fighting those contracts because they don't like that they're where and when contracts, the requirement contracts, and they're not going uh, you know, through a process where it's actually, um, each, each ped ramp should be its own contract, or a handful should be on its own contract. That's just impractical. The paperwork that has to go through that is complete nonsense. So
2: Mike, let me interrupt, for, and then I wanna get back to some other questions about the race, sure. but I'm curious, given your concerns about the controller's office, if this does not work out right now, do you think you might run for a controller? That was my question too.
1: <laughs> Maybe I have an. Uh, that's one of the other things that I, I worked in the accounting uh, field for ten years, even though I don't have an accounting degree. Um, and um, you know, I might take that on. Um, we need somebody who actually knows what they're doing and actually understands operations. Um, I understand the mentality of accountants, because like I said, I was one, but I don't believe in that. I don't follow that mentality. I want things to work uh, efficiently. I want things to be practical. Um, Another big thing with the controller's Office, the pension fund is not in that great of shape. Even though they say, okay, well, we're the best run in the city or in the country, we're still only 65% funded. And that's after the taxpayers are putting $8 billion a year into the fund. And I don't know if uh, everybody read that they just took a big old junket down to Key West and spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of the pension payers' money. And, you know, these are things you have to look at. Um, you know, I know I was listening a little bit to Jumaane, and he said, okay, uh, it was great that they deinvested from the fossil fuels. However, you need uh, the pension fund needs to be uh, not political, but have a fiduciary responsibility to the retirees, current and future. And right now, the dividends uh, that fossil fuels pays is one of the highest in-, in the stock market. And pension funds need to run on revenues uh, developed from, our, uh, from uh, you know dividends and from stocks and bonds. You don't want to have to sell stocks to pay the dividends. People forget that, or people aren't mentioning, especially our politicians and our union leaders in the city are lying to us, pensions are no longer guaranteed by the Constitution. There's been numerous uh, federal lawsuits that have stated that. um, CalPERS, one of the largest California retirement funds, two years ago cut their benefits by 60%. So if you were taking $50,000 home uh, a year, you're now taking a $20,000 home. And our pension funds are set, hitting for the same way because they're being misinvested. And that's one of the key roles I can play as public advocate because I sit on it. Um, and, you know, I have great ideas. I, I probably have many unique ideas on how to fund NYSEA. Uh you know, how to repair Nisha. I have you know, criminal justice. I have all that legislative uh, issues. If you go to my website, electmikez.com, you'll see th- ideas there that you won't see anywhere else. And that's because, unlike most politicians like Eric Alrich and others, that, you know, Eric Aldridge got elected two years after college. He has no practical experience outside legislative uh, body. How is he going to make a p- good public advocate? How is any of these other... Uh, People that um, are currently in office, um, most of them came out of nonprofits, good government groups. They don't understand business. They don't understand. I've worked in the uh, private sector, the nonprofit sector, and the public sector. I've also, I'm also a, a GI brat. I mean, uh, and I also was in the army myself. I have a multitude of experiences that I think is needed for the public advocate's uh, office. That I can actually um, contribute greatly to the city. Plus, uh, being independent, I'm not beholden to any of these, any of the parties. Um, and we need diverse voices. We need to say, hey, you know, Mayor De Blasio, mm-hmm. you realize your needle program was tried in Switzerland. They're they, they're getting rid of it. It's going. It's uh, run poorly in San Francisco. In San Francisco, they give over over four hundred thousand needles a month. Their population is only seven hundred thirty-two thousand. And sixty-five percent, they mm-hmm. say sixty to sixty-five percent end mm-hmm. up on the street itself the needles.
3: So, so, so going back to so so let me let me jump in here for one second uh, because sure. you know we're talking about all these initiatives. Pardon, we're talking about your experience and we're talking about all these issues that you're concerned with. And this is something that we've brought up with some of the other candidates as we've been Mm -hmm. talking about the actual office of advocate, um, how much power it actually has and how much it does not. There is power to uh, raise issues, to make suggestions, to uh, to uh, pose legislation. But there is not uh, subpoena power. There is not uh, executive power to change policy uh, unilaterally. So how do you see yourself actually changing a lot of these things aside from just alerting people to the fact that there is a problem or that there will be a problem? Because some people look at this office and they say that that's about all it is equipped to do.
1: Actually, because all the public advocates before us had no clue how to run the office. One of the things is because I the public advocate actually gets to sit on every committee in, this, uh, in the city council. They have subpoena power. I can bring those issues to the, um, to, uh, the city council and start subpoenaing the different agencies to come in. And uh, even though technically under the charter, they're supposed to give me information. If they don't, I can either go to court, which is the last resort I want to do, any, any public advocate that has to go to court. So the government, suing the government to try to get information, that means you lost the battle already. Um, but if you can work with the city council, you can browbeat uh, the mayor and some of the other areas saying, hey, this is what I found out. And One of the things is, yes, it's a small budget. How I, how I envision the office, I'm going to uh, supplement uh, my office by going to the different colleges and good government groups and have them assist the public advocate in actually investigating and everything else. I'm going to multiply the power of the public advocate by using different, agent, uh, different good government groups, going to uh, you know, the different uh, – we have tons and tons of colleges, very good colleges, and we can get uh, interns and everything else, uh, join up with some of these professors that want change, and we can actually look at that stuff. So I can use and, a force multiplier by that.
3: And what would be the what would be the budget for an internship program or, uh, you know, a crossover program like that? Or would this um, be, would this all be volunteer work? Because I'm not sure. It that would
1: be all volunteer work uh, because you know un- I un-
3: foresee unpaid? I
1: foresee my budget getting cut in half by the city council and the mayor about six, uh, about three to four uh, by uh, July uh, first if I get elected.
3: So unpaid and presumably for some sort of academic credit. I don't think you can just exactly
1: have exactly. People. I have to. I'd have to go work with the schools. Maybe they'll part. Some of their budget can do it. Maybe, but I don't want to have a nonprofit set up like the current uh, public advocates do to pay for extra staff. So to me, that's just a, that's just a uh, recipe for disaster that can lead to all kinds of allegations. I want to try to be above board.
2: So, um, your party line is repairing NYCHA now. And I want to ask a NYCHA question. There sure. has been a pilot initiative that the city had done. There was a, a- a report that came out a few months ago uh, by the Citizens Housing and Planning Council that kind of looked at this, a kind of public-private partnership uh, where it was uh, private money that helped, that came in and did major renovations and a number of uh, developments, and they were saying that residents through a survey were saying this was a good solution, it's made the quality of life much better. Is that sol- the solution? Would you Is part of your you know repair, NYCHA, now uh, – Promise to have more of this, or do you think it needs to be that the city needs to do an investment and not bring in? Uh, we developers? can have
1: more of that, but we also need the city to do more of it. You can't, as um, two of the ideas I have for um, trying to raise more money and uh, doing um, you know, for repairs at nisha is in the Department of Transportation right now on the highways, we have adopt a highway. For a section of highway, you'll get to get a plaque that. Uh, private money comes in to help clean up in, um, the highways. We can use the same, to, to similar project, uh, program for NYSHA. So say somebody wants to give $10 million, instead of 1535 First Avenue, uh, it could be John Smith's houses. If they give so much money, they can maybe get a rec room. Uh, so there, these are things we can do to increase the flow of money.
3: Would and there be, you know,
1: go to the private sector. It's an
3: interesting, it's an interesting idea. I'm just curious, uh, you know. Uh what the ramifications might be, for example, say you have, uh, would there be limitations on who could, uh, donate to that type of program and how much they could donate? Uh, for example, what if it's a, a major contractor that has business before the city and they want to be nice guys and throw 10 million bucks at, at, uh, a uh, NYCHA development. And then they want to come forward and, uh, and ask for a 10 year city contract to, uh, uh, you know, build uh, public private housing or to build a, uh, a new, uh, a plaza, a new park, a new school, something like that, you know, is there, you can see where I'm going with this, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, well, you'll have to, you know, um, honestly, I haven't really thought that uh, about that, but, uh, my initial reaction is as long as the procurement aspect is different than, uh, cause that's more along the mayor's line. Uh, the public advocate doesn't really give contracts, but you know, um, they can't get any NYSHA projects. They'd have to go through whatever uh, other contracts they do. Yes, there's always going to be corruption, and you've got to fight against it. That's why you need a good controller and uh, upstanding uh, city workers to do it. Um, so, to Mike, prevent that stuff.
2: so, Mike, we're going to have to wrap up. Please let our listeners know how they could learn more about you and remind us of your party line. And if you know your uh, current position on the Board of Elections ballot.
1: I think it's 15 but i not 100 percent sure on that uh, because right now a couple people might be dropping off but um it's you know my it's repair nisha now and if you go to my website which is electmikez.com, i don't force people to spell my name <laughs> um the uh you'll see all, all these innovative ideas i have from criminal justice to helping small businesses um And uh, some of the ideas that I think people have not seen before, and I've actually done some study, and a lot of these things can work. And uh, people will be surprised at what they read.
3: Thank you so much, uh, Mike, for joining us here on Driving Forces. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. And again, you've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI ninety nine point five FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons every Thursday. Um, yeah, inter- I, inter- yeah. Inter- and we've had three candidates
2: today. All have different you know methods of what they would like or visions what they want to do exactly, with the office what exactly. issues it's interesting they'd like ideas to take on. there
3: i'm not sure that i'm not sure that all, uh, all of them are <laughs> are uh, destined for uh, fruition but look it's it's good to hear people having you know throwing stuff out there and not uh, you know sticking to sort of the traditional path every time maybe it's it's good to you know that's the great thing about programs like this you can hash that stuff out
2: true. And I just want to remind our listeners, what we're doing here today, Celeste Mm -hmm. and me, is we're starting on Driving Forces. The next few weeks, we're inviting a number of the candidates on. Uh, Some of the candidates have been on Max and Murphy on Wednesday already. So we're not going to have them back. We're trying to give equal time to everyone. And we're coordinating with Max and Murphy. So you need to tune in on Wednesdays at five o'clock. You should be listening to WBAI all the time. But make sure if you want to hear from all the candidates, go to WBAI 99.5 FM on Wednesdays at 5 for Max and Murphy to hear a number of the candidates, and then tune in on Thursdays Uh, for Celeste and I on driving forces to hear from a number of the other candidates. We've divided them up. And we also, uh, as we get closer to the February 26th special election, we're going to let you know who's not getting back to us uh, because we think it is fair that listeners know if a candidate has not or their team has not responded. We've only, on our end, we just started this week and we've heard from, I think about seven of the nine we've reached out to and one's been uh, texting me and emailing me the entire show. So we
3: will be booking him if he's listening. (laughs) So, yeah, but, you know, 23 candidates about right now. And look, the Public Advocates Office, as we've discussed, is not the biggest or the most famous uh, office in New York City. But you know what? It's your money that they're that they're using here that uh, that is paying them. And uh, it's your interests that they are supposed to serve. So I really hope that uh, people will uh, listen in Wednesdays uh, at five with uh, Max and Murphy and uh, Thursdays here with uh, uh, Jeff and I on uh, driving forces and uh, and vote on February 26th. And what was interesting is Mike had just mentioned this, you know, that not all you
2: know, we think we know what the ballot positions are, but that, as he said, might change because some candidates might not stay on there. Right. And you have to To get matching funds, at least if you uh, want to seek, um, you know, funding from the city. What is it? Uh, Eight. Times every one dollar if you raise is a it certain amount. Is it six? There's, there's two six. different ones. Eight yeah. to oh, one yeah, public there, financing. There are, two,
3: there are two different. There there are different programs. And then of course, I guess there's a, a self financing uh, component, non participant if you want that. And what's going
2: to be really interesting? I mean, and we will do a special show right at. I'm sure Max and Murphy will beat us to this because they're on Wednesday. What what day is February 26? Is that a uh, Tuesday? It or be a we're going to check that right it now. Be a but Tuesday. we really want to do like a post game analysis too. You know, Celeste and I are looking forward to the Super Bowl. So we're very excited about that. And then (laughs) so we'll be using a lot of sports. Go Rams.
3: Go Rams. Uh, Yeah. So uh, but yeah, I think it'll be I think it will be. Yep, it is. It is a Tuesday. So um, and yeah, I hope people show up again. These uh, special elections, sometimes you don't see a lot of people show up. But again, this is your city. This is your government. This is your money. I think that it's uh, it's worth participating. So, you know, and I'm a prime voter. So,
2: of course, I will be at the polls on February 26 voting. But, you know, it's it's going to be amazing to see what the turnout is and also the percentage that even the top vote getter gets, because, you know, as it was mentioned on the show in the dead of winter, are a lot of people even focused on this.
3: Yeah. And if this thing goes to a runoff, well, I mean, look, and that's why we're talking about things like instant runoff voting. And we've had some some updates to the voting system in New York, but we still have a long way to go, I think. Uh, So uh, more to more to talk about there. Absolutely. But I'm keeping an eye on this one. So, yeah, and Jamani had mentioned
2: uh, that Mark Green had supported him. So, and we've reached out to Mark Green about being a guest, uh, but when we do have him on, we're not going to talk about him endorsing anyone specifically. It's more about the role of the office and what he did with it and what he thinks the office should be, what role it should play in city life. So we're going to wrap up in a few moments. Uh, Just want to thank our guests for being on with us. Uh, Les, do you want to thank Yeah, absolutely.
3: Uh, Today we heard from... uh, Manny Alejandro, Mike Zambluskas, and Jumani Williams, all candidates for New York City public advocate. So thanks to them for uh, being on the program with us. Thanks to James, our engineer, as well. And have a good evening.
2: What's coming up on WBAI? 6 o'clock, we have the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo. At 6.30, Justice Matters with Bob Ganji. 7 o'clock is The Joy of Resistance with Fran Luck. 8, Education at the Crossroads. 9 o'clock, Cuba in Focus. And 10 to Midnight, music hitting the
3: sweet spot.
5: An evening titled, Welcome Home Family, loved ones and friends are gathering to welcome home some of the youth jailed in 2016 through devastating so-called gang raids who are finally out. This community event includes live music, video, good food, and refreshments. Come join this community welcoming and learn more about the raids. That's Saturday, January 26th. Five thirty PM at the Jalopy Theater, three fifteen Columbia Street in Red Hook, Brooklyn. For more information, email stop the raids at protonmail.com. That's stop the raids at protonmail.com.
2: And you're listening to WBAI.